Wanted. Wanted for armed robbery. Presented in the public interest, this is the program that brings you for the first time on the air a nationwide manhunt in action. The actual facts to date on a man wanted. This is not a dramatization. From the record, hear the -the on-the-spot reports of the people involved. Nothing is withheld. No one is protected. Here are the dramatic eyewitness accounts of a man wanted. Wanted for armed robbery. And now, Wanted's on-the-spot investigator, Walter McGraw. Good evening. Once again, I'm going to take you around the country on a nationwide manhunt for a fugitive who is now at large. You're going to meet the people who are actually involved in the various crimes he's committed. You will hear the actual voices of his victims, his friends, his relatives, and of the police officers who have worked and who are now working on his case. Before we tell you about tonight's case, a word about last week's. You'll recall that after we presented the facts in the case of Mississippi's fabulous fugitive, Kinney Wagner, his brother, Kelsey Wagner, stated that Kinney would give himself up under certain conditions. First of all, that he wouldn't be shot in the back during his surrender, and second, that his 25-year-old case be reconsidered. Tonight, we have an answer for Kinney Wagner. I called up the governor of Mississippi and talked to him. Governor Wright said, and I quote, I cannot deal with a man who is a fugitive from justice. I have nothing further to say. As for Tennessee, it is the opinion of Judge Bandy, one-time prosecutor of the Wagner case, that should Wagner return to Tennessee to stand trial, the case would be dropped since there are no witnesses still alive to testify against him. Well, be that as it may, it is not up to governors or law enforcement agencies to make a deal. It is up to a fugitive to give himself up and, at that point, fight for reconsideration. However, I will make one promise. We know that every time Wagner has tried to surrender or someone has tried to capture him, there has been bloodshed. I will personally guarantee that if Wagner will surrender to me, He can do so safely. Now for tonight's wanted case, the history of one of the most desperate and dangerous of all of Wanted's rogues gallery. It's the case of the cop killer of the West. Listen, these are the facts. The date, April 25th, 1947. The location, a small western logging community called Hood River, Oregon. The time, 9.15 p.m., The voices you hear next are the actual voices of the people who, through no fault of their own, are involved in the case of the cop killer of the West. First, a young mother in Hood River, Oregon. My name is Letha Milliken. On this particular night, I had just gone to bed, and I heard a shot, which I thought was the backfire of a car. And then I heard another shot. I raised up in bed and looked out an open window. There I saw an Oregon State Trooper shooting in my direction. And a man came running up the steps right beside my apartment. And as he reached the top, he ducked under a little railing out of sight from the officer. Then he turned and walked up the little path that led up to the top of the hill. The officer turned and walked 
toward the police station. And just before he reached the stairs that led down into the police station, he began staggering and fell. At this time, a man came running out of the police station who was Chief Grams. This is Larry Grams, Chief of the Hood River City Police Department, Hood River, Oregon. Upon hearing the shots about 9.15 that evening, I ran out of the police station onto 2nd Street and found the body of State Officer Rondo lying on the sidewalk. I turned the body around so the feet were downhill and turned him over on his back. At the same time, ordering a spectator to get a physician whom I had seen enter the city hall a few minutes before. By the time the physician arrived, I had a wound bared which showed he had been shot directly over the heart and was breathing quite freely. When the doctor seen who it was, he exclaimed, Oh, my God, because Rondo was a personal friend of his. I then asked him if this wound would prove fatal, and he stated that it would. I then turned everything over to the doctor, re-entered the police station, and called the state peace office in the Dalles. This is Sergeant Charles Uren of the Oregon State Police Department in charge of the Dalles District, the Dalles, Oregon. On the night of the Rondo shooting, I received a report from Chief Grams stating that a member of our department had been fatally shot at Hood River by an unknown assailant. I immediately ordered road blockades set up on Highway 30 in and out of Hood River. They checked all trucks, buses, and private automobiles for some time without results. Then we received a report from Officer Brockaway, who was in charge of a road blockade on U.S. Highway 30 west of the Dalles. This is Private Brockway, in company of Sheriff Sexton and his deputy, Joe Hendricks. We had been checking for approximately an hour and a half without results. Then we observed a 1946 Ford convertible round the bend and park on the shoulder of the highway approximately 40 yards from the block. I shouted to Sheriff Sexton to watch the vehicle. As he started to get out to check the car, the operator zoomed off toward our station on the bridge. As he crossed the bridge, he swerved his car in an attempt to kill Joe Hendricks and I. At this time, we drew our guns and fired at the vehicle, hitting it four times, but not vitally. Sheriff Sexton turned his car around and gave chase, but was soon outdistanced. The car was later involved in an accident at the intersection of 4th and Union Street in the Dalles. Leaving the stolen Ford convertible behind, the runaway fugitive crept away to be lost in the night. Now telephone and telegraph wires sang out the message, Murderer at large. State troopers tightened roadblocks, examining every car, bus, aeroplane, and freight train that moved through the state. And they struck Pater. This is N.W. Smith, sergeant of the Oregon State Police in the stations at Pendleton. We received a radio call to proceed to ordinance and check a suspicious subject reported to be riding a freight train. We located ourselves down there on each side of the train, and as the train pulled by us, why the engineer held up two fingers, which indicated to us that this man was on the second gondola. And about the same time, we saw him, and he jumped out of the car and started running. And I could see that he was wearing a jacket with the letters D-O-C on the back. At that time, I definitely knew that he was our man, as this jacket had been reported stolen out of a car that had been stolen from Hood River the night that Rondo was killed. And after a short volley of shots, well, we cornered him between two cars, and uh, he was told to come out with his hands up, at which time he told us that he was John Pinson. Who was John Pinson? 
Well, this was the nickname of one Omar August Pinson, a good-looking kid. Now, what turns a good-looking kid into a cop killer? Let's look into the past. This is Bob Gangware, city editor of the Oregon Statesman, Salem, Oregon. I've been interested in Omar Pinson. As a newspaper man, I followed his record. I find that he had a fine upbringing. Although he did come from this good family, Pinson was always a bad boy. He participated in robberies and housebreakings, minor cases to be sure, but he was always in trouble. By the time he was 17, he was sent up to do time as a juvenile delinquent at Eldora, Iowa. But young Pinson did an about-face in the reform school. He piled up a perfect record. And because of his good behavior, his family's reputation, and his anxiety to reform, he was released. Pinson was pointed to as one case where reform school worked. Now Johnny was home. Home to stay. And he had changed. First thing that happened, he fell in love. She was the little girl who lived next door. Her name was Goldie Walkner. Lovely little thing. Well, it was only natural Johnny and Goldie get married. Goldie had all the faith in the world in Johnny. She was so happy in March of the year 1941. March 3rd, 1941, Omar August Pinson was arrested by the sheriff's office in Carthage, Missouri for breaking and entering. He was sentenced to three years in the Missouri State Pen. But less than 18 months later, Omar August Pinson, alias John Pinson, was given special consideration because of his good record and excellent family connections. He was given a conditional parole. Johnny came home, home again. Well, you know how neighbors are, gossipy and so forth. Johnny and his wife, his mother and father, and her mother and father, well, the whole group moved to the state of Washington. And Johnny? Johnny got a job. A real job this time. And he settled down like a married man should. Omar August Pinson was picked up and booked on suspicion of robbery January 24th, 1944 by the Washington State Police. Once again, he was tried and convicted. This time he was sentenced to zero to 15 years at Walla Walla Penitentiary. But one year later... Because of good behavior and excellent family connections, he was paroled. Well, when Johnny came home, everyone was worried. But he promised he'd show them he'd behave himself. Almost right off, he got a job as a linesman near Pasco. He was making a good living, more than he ever made before. Oh, he worked hard, and he had a reason. Johnny and Goldie had a baby. And Johnny loved that kid. Captain Wayne M. Gerdane, District Number One, Oregon State Police, Portland, Oregon. We had been receiving numerous complaints of house burglaries committed in the early part of the evenings. Entry made through back door or window. Property attacked for the most part guns, although other articles were taken. These reports coming in from Central and Eastern Oregon and from other police agencies in eastern Washington, Idaho, and Montana. A truck was seen in a number of instances. We believe this to be the work of one man. 
and others suspected but could not prove that it was John Omar Benson. I think Goldie became to be suspicious of Johnny right about then. But she was afraid to admit it even to herself. Then on the morning of April 26, 1947, she got the news. Your husband, John Pinson, is wanted for the murder of state policeman Ron Doe. Why had Pinson murdered Officer Rondo? What motivated a cold-blooded shooting? What turns a good-looking kid into a cop killer? Well, according to our reconstruction of the facts... State Trooper Rondo was on regular duty that night. He saw a stranger piling some equipment in a truck and went over to check up on him to find out what he was doing. He found out. Omar August Pinson answered with a bullet. That's what makes a cop killer, mister. Omar Pinson, the nice young boy turned cop killer, went on trial. I am Ralph E. Moody of Salem, Oregon, special prosecutor who assisted Tunis Wires, the district attorney of Hood River County, Oregon, in the prosecution of Pinson for the murder of Officer Rondo. Pinson admitted upon the stand that he fired the shot that killed the officer, but claimed that he did not intend to kill him, that he only did so in order to make his escape. In this respect, Pinson lied, for he deliberately intended to kill the officer, which he did, and we asked the jury to convict him of murder in the first degree and to execute him. The case went to the jury. Jury problem. There was little doubt that he was a murderer, but the jury weighed the advisability of the death sentence. If all 12 jurymen recommended death, the gas chamber was mandatory. But the final count was... Nine for death, three for clemency. Judge Wilson sentenced Pinson to life imprisonment at the Oregon State Penitentiary. This is Tunis J. Wires, District Attorney of Hood River County, Oregon. After the jury recommended the life sentence for Pinson for the murder of Ed Rondo, one of my good friends, it was very clear to me that it was my duty under the law to indict him for the other crimes he had committed in this county and to make an adequate record so that he would never be admitted to parole. I called the grand jury of this county together again, and I told them, as I tell you now, that August Omar Pinson is the most dangerous, vicious murderer that has ever come to my attention. He is one of those introverted fellows, one of those fellows who is a natural enemy of society and feels that society is his enemy, a man who will always go armed and a man who will always kill again. Under no circumstances must he ever be released. Pinson went to the pen with no chance of ever getting out. This is George Alexander, warden of the Oregon State Penitentiary at Salem, Oregon. John Omar Pinson was received here in 1947. He seemed to be a lone wolf <clears throat> and was pretty much on his own. We later noticed that he had missed associate with some of the bad boys here at the institution especially one Wayne Long, who had made a couple of previous escapes from this institution. This friendship, we knew, spelt trouble. Prison trouble. Five months after Pinson arrived, he figured in a break with Long and four other desperate, hard-term boys. It was 8.45 a.m. when this dump truck appears in the prison yard to pick up a load of lime. These six cons commandeered the truck and tied up a guard. 
Then figuring the truck was heavy enough to crash through the prison wall, they got the truck going full speed. But they forgot some metal baskets lined on the railroad tracks down there. One of them baskets caught under the front axle. Cons couldn't steer the truck, and they cracked up going over a bridge 50 feet from the gate. Break number one, a fiasco. All six of the convicts involved were placed in detention cells in the detention unit. It's called the bullpen. You know what it's like in the bullpen? Got any idea? I am Gene Hawley, the deputy warden of the Oregon State Penitentiary. I am standing in a cell in the solitary confinement department of the penitentiary. Provided for the more desperate prisoners, this cell was occupied by John Omar Pinson and is about eight feet long, six feet wide, and ten feet high. It is reached by going down a stairway from the upper part of the cell blocks, passing through three locked doors. The exercise that they have in these cells are provided for them once a week when they go out for their bath and their shaves. Pinson spent one year in the bullpen that time, and that taught him a lesson, a hard lesson. He was released from the bullpen and returned to normal prison life. He enjoyed this for two months, and then... November 18th, 1948, at the noon hour. Pinson and four other guys was in the prison yard. All of a sudden, them five guys begin to run. One of the guards tried to stop them, but they wasn't stopping for nobody. They ran on till they hit the prison flax mill. Once inside, they began striking matches and lighting fires at random. They had an idea they could escape in all the confusion. Guards went in with shovels and fought convicts armed with pitchforks. Prison break number two, a fiasco. Once again, Pinson was returned to the detention cell. This time, he was deprived of every possible privilege. No exercise, no cigarettes, no conversation with anyone. Month after month passed. After months of such confinement, Pinson attempted the impossible, an escape from the bullpen. This is Lieutenant Walter Babson of the Oregon State Penitentiary. Upon making a routine check of the bullpen, I discovered several bars had been tampered with and sawn. I deemed it advisable at this time to move Pinson to another cell. Several months passed in the new cells without incident. Pinson was quiet, too quiet, too quiet and too moody, dangerous, and according to the records. It was about 2 a.m. There wasn't a sound in the bullpen. The only kind of talking you do down there anyway is when you pray. Pinson wasn't praying. Pinson was at one end of the bullpen, a fellow named Benson at the other. All of a sudden, these two guys pull a Houdini. They was both out of their cells at the same time. Sure, you could see him creep down the bullpen hall to the windows. Went to work on them hall windows, sawn at the bars. Next thing you know, they're out in the yard. Those guys were half-naked and barefoot. Someone had left a plank in the yard. And these two guys grabbed the plank, placed it against the wall, and scaled to the top like monkeys. This is uh, Farrell Lubyakovsky. I'm a guard at uh, Oregon State Penitentiary. I was on duty at the time Pinson and Benson got over the wall. I seen them about the time they got to the top of the wall and I started shooting with my thirty-eight revolver. So I shot a couple of times and I gave the general alarm. Jailbreak number three, a success. Never before in the history of Oregon had any convict broken from the bullpen. A statewide search was instigated for cop killer Pinson and his companion. Local, state, and federal authorities joined in the search. This is Clyde Warren, Chief of Police of Salem, Oregon. 
time of the escape from the Oregon State Prison of Penson and Benson, we were alerted and all available officers, including our reserve force, was thrown into the search in cooperation with the Oregon State Police and Marion County Sheriff's Office. These officers were instructed to use whatever force was necessary in the apprehension of Penson when found. With the entire Pacific Coast alerted for them, Pinson and Benson slipped through the dragnet and disappeared. Months of searching and no word. Then Columbus, Ohio had a report. This is Sergeant Heichman, Columbus, Ohio Police. A man was brought in one day. He had been found laid out in a dark alley. We thought he was usual drunken bum. Looked him over and found he'd been taking too much dope. Shot a heroin in the arm. We fingerprinted him and processed the fingerprints in the usual way and learned that he was a guy named Benson, escaped con from the Oregon State Penitentiary. We turned him over to the Oregon authorities. Benson was promptly returned to the state penitentiary at Salem. He spent his nights in the bullpen, his days in the warden's office under questioning. How did he escape? Well, uh, Benson said he couldn't tell them since he might want to do it again in some time. But he was glad to show officials the route he and Pinson had taken after they left the prison grounds. A complicated route from Salem to a cheap rooming house in Portland, and from there, a bus trip to the coast. Pinson maintained that John Pinson had been shot in the leg during the escape, that the leg had festered, and Pinson developed gangrene. With tears in his eyes, Benson related the sad story of how he had buried his prison pal... High in the Montana hills. A group of state officials took Benson from prison into the Montana hills to point out the spot where Pinson was buried. But Benson's memory was shaky. He couldn't find the spot that marked the grave. Then, once again, Oregon's cop killer showed his hand. Dateline, September 14th, 1949, Coeur Idaho. I'm Deputy Sheriff Cliff Johnson of Coeur Idaho. We received a radio call from the Coeur City Police that a man being taken in for a burglary had escaped from them. Shortly after, we received a call from a local club nearby that a man answering the description of the wanted man had called for a taxi cab. We intercepted him as he was entering the cab, frisked him for weapons and found none, asked him for identification, which he readily produced. As I was examining the fishing license, which he handed me. He suddenly broke and ran around another car parked nearby. I took after him and was within ten feet of him. I could easily have killed a man had I known that he was a heavy-duty man. I fired one warning shot into the ground, called for him to halt. On the second call, he said, go ahead and shoot. I then started shooting at him as he disappeared in some trees in the dark. We later found that this was a badly wanted man, Omer August Pinson. Proof that Omar August Pinson was alive. But once again, the heavy-duty murderer vanished into the Northwest Hills. But now his trail is hot. State police have been just hours behind him ever since as he dodges from town to roadhouse, from freight train to nightclub, always on the run. It is not our function here to determine the guilt or innocence of a man, nor do we intend to. But according to the facts you've heard tonight and or other pertinent material... Omar August Pinson is wanted. Here again is Walter McGraw. You can help find Omar August Pinson. But to do so, you must be informed of all the facts. So stand by. 
How can you recognize him? Listen, and listen carefully. Harry H. Hainer, Sheriff Kootenai County, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Following is description, Omer August Pinson, age 32, height 5 foot 11 and a quarter, weight 181 pounds, build medium, has noticeable paunch. Hair dark brown, eyes brown, complexion dark. Large slanting scar inside left wrist, small mole right side of neck. Now back to Walter McGraw in New York. If you should see Omar August Pinson, do not approach him. Just call your own local police department and give them the fullest possible information. Now to help you, the voice of the underworld. On the police blotter, he's listed as Omar August Pinson. But the boys call him Johnny. They like this kid because he's got nothing to lose. And he'd shoot anybody's brains out at the drop of a hat. This boy has been in solitary. Now just picture a guy who's been in solitary, dreaming about the dames, dreaming about having a good time, and now he's free. They tell me they spotted him in Washington two weeks ago. So this kid has got to hang around the nightclubs where he can get all the liquor he wants, where he can get all the women he wants. But if the cops ever spot him, this guy will blow anybody's brains out not to get picked up. If you have no other way of seeing a picture of Omar August Pinson, go to your local post office. A poster with his picture and description is on the wall. Study that face. Omar August Pinson is 32 years old. Height 5 feet 11 and a quarter inches. Build medium. Hair dark brown. Eyes brown. Race white. A nice-looking boy, but sullen and moody. He likes to travel alone. He's a hard drinker. He's armed at all times. Tonight, you've heard the facts on Omar August Pinson, a man listed in the International News Service's list of America's ten most wanted men. Although Pinson is still at large, various reports we've had indicate that at this moment, he is in the state of Washington. We know the man frequents bars and nightclubs. So you bartenders, waiters, nightclub entertainers, this is your case. Now we have a last-minute bulletin for you. You'll recall the case of Fred Tenuto, one of the hottest of all the fugitives in this country, the paid killer who likes to kill, Tenuto with four notches on his gun. Well, for more information on him, we bring you news from KDKA in Pittsburgh. I am Captain Joseph Flynn in command of the Homicide Squad, Bureau of Police, Pittsburgh, PA. Saturday, August the 12th, 1950, two men drew automatic revolvers, held up Clark's Bar at 139 7th Street, this city, and killed J. Earl Nesbitt, the manager. A beat patrolman, hearing shots, gave chase and engaged in a running gun battle, but the criminals escaped. Witnesses have identified the perpetrator of this crime as Frederick J. Tenuto. Thanks to the NBC Wanted program... Heard in this area on KDKA, I believe the capture of Frederick J. Tenuto and his accomplice will be made easier. Attention, Pittsburgh. Tomorrow morning, the Pittsburgh Sun-Telegraph is reprinting the picture and description of Tenuto. Remember, for a picture of Tenuto, tomorrow morning's Pittsburgh Sun-Telegraph. Ladies and gentlemen, keep on the alert. 
Tonight you have a double job. You've heard the case of Oregon's Omar August Pinson. And you've also been advised that Philadelphia's Fred Tenuto has struck again. These two men are both killers. It's your job to see that they're brought to justice. Now, this is Walter McGraw saying, there's no time like now to wipe out crime. Be with us next week when you will hear the actual people involved give their eyewitness account of the career criminal who is wanted. Wanted for assault and sodomy. All material heard on tonight's program was factual, from the record. Real names were used. No one was protected. Tonight's report was written by P.L. Mayer. Music was directed by Morris Mamorski. The narrator was Fred Collins. Wanted was supervised for NBC by James Kovac and was produced and directed by Walter McGraw. (laughs) 